0: transition right there. Um, All right. Uh, Today, we are continuing our study of Ephesians. Um, there is, I told you at the beginning, there's two parts to this. There's a first half and a second half, and it's pretty clean. It's the first three chapters and the last three chapters. And so we are going to do all of Ephesians chapter three today. We ended chapter two last week, um, but we're going to do all of chapter three, um, partly because the second part that I would normally going to put on its own next week uh, doesn't have a lot of new information. It's mostly a prayer. And so I'm going to pray that prayer over us today, um, which I think is a beautiful and powerful prayer. But then next week, there's been kind of this floating behind-the-scenes assumption that Paul uses that we're going to touch on today, and I'm going to fully um, teach on next week dealing with um, what he means by um, dominions, powers, principalities, et cetera. So that'll be next week, um, and he'll touch on it again today. So this is the end of the first half. What he did is he established the gospel identity. Next half, the next three chapters, four, five, and six, are going to be application for that. It's odd. He, he kind of created this almost pastoral, okay, so because of these things, do this stuff, all right? And so we're going to talk about all those things in their, in their context um, over the next few weeks. He's wanting them to understand their identity as individuals, then as this collective group, and he drew from a lot of Old Testament imagery. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, you've gotten to be a part of that um, as we've unlocked some of those, those bits and pieces and brought those forward. it's a lot of fun to, to, for me, just as I was learning that stuff, to be able to come in here excited and ready to present something um, to you. So the second half, as he goes into application, what he's going to do is those three things that we talked about, those collisions. The worlds of heaven and earth are colliding still, he doesn't have a separation there. They're together. The spirit and human world are colliding, and that's not going to be a separation, but a, an assumed assumption. And then the Jewish and Gentile worlds are still colliding. Those are the three main themes of this book. And as he ends this first half, he's going to take us one last time further into the subject that he brought up from the very beginning, which he deemed this phrase, the mystery or mysterion in Greek. Um, and so let's... let's um, Uh, And then he finally prays at the end of that for for everyone at the end of this chapter. So um, I I mentioned this example at the very beginning, and I'm going to bring it up again. I hope it's not on instant replay. Um, But this idea of a mystery novel or some kind of movie that you're releasing, she really recovered from that well. Like, didn't even skip a beat. Uh, this idea of a mystery story, right? Think of any movie, think of any uh, novel that you might get into um, that, that, that forces you throughout it to put clues together and pay attention to details and notice it. And the whole idea is that when you get to the end of it, you look back and think, oh, I should have known it. They were telling me the whole time. All right, not just not, not so much the idea that you couldn't have known, but actually if you had had the wit about you to string together the clues, you could have anticipated the ending before it was revealed to you and once it's revealed you look back and you're like, "Oh my gosh. This is wild." And and any great novelist, mystery novelist is so good at forcing you to 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 have both of those experiences. You don't want to know the ending until it's revealed and then when you get to it you're like, "Oh my gosh. How'd they do that? So I'm gonna use a classic example. If you've ever, this is an older movie. Um, and man, if you haven't watched it by now, this is on you. So I, I mean, I can't, I don't got any apologies, honestly. But there's this movie called The Sixth Sense. M. Night Shyamalan put it together. Um, and, and maybe you were more uh, adept at it than I am, but there's clues throughout this whole movie that something's going on. And it's this guy who sees you know, the classic line, I see dead people, right? That kind of thing. And he's having this conversation and then the big reveal at the end is he could do it because he was actually dead himself and he didn't realize it. So he was one of the spirit people interacting with the other spirits. And as you look back, so I watched the movie a second time. I want to be, how consistent did you make this? Did you mess up along the way? I couldn't find one. So if you found one, come and tell me. I'm sure it's Googleable and people can talk about it. But any story that causes the effect where you step back and you think, I should have known it the whole time. Just for context, there's like seven to eight mysteries, something called, literally called the mysterion, a mystery, revealed in the scriptures in the New Testament. And this is one of the major ones, being the Gentile inclusion into the Abrahamic promise and the body of Christ. And Paul takes this a little deeper today. We talked about it last week. This is a little bit deeper. So Ephesians 3 um, says this, For this reason, what reason? All the things we talked to up until now. I don't have time to recap it. I gave you a little bit there. But for that reason, he's building on it. I, Paul, the prisoner, put a little exclamation point in your mind after that word, of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy uh, to by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that though the, through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Okay, there's this time release of God's revelation that gets dispersed in this moment. Paul gives us these insights to his part of this great mystery and this revealing of something that has been hidden for generations and generations until now. His first insight that he's giving to the Ephesians is that he's in prison. Surprise, they didn't know he was in prison. Now, I thought about it because he almost got thrown into prison while he was in Ephesus. So I don't know that they're really like, oh, big surprise, Paul, you made it to prison finally, right? He had to escape to get out of Ephesus. And so what you have is he's like, hey, just by the way, uh, uh, this is the first time he mentions it, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus uh, for the sake of it. But he's also surfacing that he is walking through some suffering, and he's gonna close that up towards the end. The second insight is he reminds them that through this rhetorical question, he specifically was given insight and stewarding administration over this mystery. He's leveraging the insight that he specifically has a certain kind of authority that was given just to him to overcome any doubt and validate the the thing that he's trying to get them to buy into. Now, if you are a good millennial Gen Zer, and, and maybe fading up into that, you might be thinking, Paul, you sound suspicious. So who, who you have what? Like, if you, I have insight that they didn't have in the Old Testament. In fact, it was shown to me, not you all, but I really need you all to buy into me right now. Is there part of you like if you've got a critical thinking hat and just kind of in and in, in kind of the kind of lenses that 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 I would say generations mostly younger than me and and above, but 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 this is very baked in to the uh, to the generational kind of idea right now. Like who this is what cult people say, right? So so you should have a little bit of that. Hold on, hold on, who. Who are you? And so I felt like I needed to at least stop and address that. One of the things you could ask is, how do we know Paul wasn't just going off the rails? Yeah, 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 this inclusion thing of the Gentiles, and you got to listen to me. Like, just, just listen to me. But he doesn't just say, listen to me. He reasons with them. In fact, all of the, the verses he's been referencing in the Old Testament were him reasoning with the Jewish people so that they understand this makes sense with where we've been. And so he's claiming this huge shift in application for sharing, uh, the Gentiles sharing in the promise of Abraham. Here's a couple reasons why I think um, Paul still has legitimate witness in the midst of this and is not just trying to bring us into a cult. One is that Paul was literally hunting down these people to kill them. So, So if there's a part of you that could be in the Jewish sect and you're looking back and you're like, dude, this guy's always been sympathizing with these Gentiles. You can't say that. He thought, he was so convinced, he was convicted that there was a problem. He got papers to legally be able to go and hunt these people down because he felt that they were problematic for Judaism, and he wanted to be able to seek them out, not just if I casually come by one, I'm going to capture them and put them in prison. I am hunting you people so that I can take your life, and something changed. So he says, as you know, so he he knows they know some of this story. What he's referencing is this event that took place on the road to Damascus. It's in Acts. And when he was knocked off of his horse, he falls to the ground because he sees a vision of Jesus Christ who says, Paul, Paul, why? Why are you persecuting my people? He taught, Jesus taught Paul directly and gave him the specific assignment of bringing in the Gentiles during that moment. And so he had a massive shift in the focus of what he was doing. He wasn't just a Gentile sympathizer. Next, the Holy Spirit affirms this shift with another person inside of the trusted leadership of the apostles. This is, again, what he's referring to when he talks about apostles and prophets. So he says to Peter in Acts 10, who is incredibly, incredibly un- unsure of this he resisted but he gives Peter this vision and he gets one vision and it's like I don't know how many visions you all have from God I've had a couple and honestly if I one one that I think that was really like for that was Jesus Peter gets this vision that communicates the inclusion of the Gentiles with the Jewish people well okay but do it again Jesus all right he gets a second vision he gets a third vision and in the midst of that, he gives a vision to one of the, um, what they, they call, uh, it's like one of the converts, a Gentile convert, um, and his name is Cornelius, <clears throat> to where they eventually meet together because the dreams told this one to go to this guy, this person to go to this person, then they talk and realize they had a similar vision. Think about how much corroboration had to go on, and this is what Peter says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Okay, so now we have Paul who had this trajectory and went this way. Then Peter who comes alongside him and on top of all of these things. The Holy Spirit comes on the Gentiles with signs and wonders while Peter's making a case for including them, saying this in Acts 10, verse 44 and 48. Let me just read it to you. It said, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit falls upon all those listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. They're surprised. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so now we have the Holy Spirit that's also corroborating it. Now, now I just, I wanted to make that case it's a little bit of an aside, but I just feel like it's worth us uh, stopping and addressing that we don't have somebody going off the rails, but somebody who is actually acting in obedience and trying to bring people into something, and that he was actually given administration over a specific part of this um, of this uh, revelation. Okay, so so it. As they're struggling to put these pieces together, Paul wants to ease these things like, hey, remember, I have authority because this thing happened to me. Remember that we've got Paul or Peter uh, also crying out. Holy Spirit is also doing things in the midst of this. Tensions within this Jewish community uh, and the Gentile community inside of the church at Ephesus. And then Paul restates the mystery just in case they forgot. This mystery or open secret is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are co-heirs Together with Israel. I'm adding the co because I want you to hear that. That's a, that's a great way to translate this. Co-members together of one body and co-sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. That's specifically Abraham. So let's dig into this mystery just kind of a tiny bit. I said this already, seven or eight or so mysteries, all right, one of them is this. And it's mentioned in the scripture, something kind of beyond natural knowledge that can't be just created or figured out. Remember the clue idea? That Look, look if, if you're really paying attention and you look back, it's like, man, we all should have gotten it. But we couldn't, right? There's something about this that needed divine revelation. The Holy Spirit had to step in. Paul's words in Colossians 126 say, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. So again, hidden, 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 finally revealed. Something previously undreamed of, one commentary said which is now disclosed to believers it's an open secret so this wasn't explicit back there but there were all kinds of clues remember the original promise to abraham included this you're a blessing to you are blessed to be a blessing to the nations how did god position israel geographically Right in the midst of the nation so that they would have to go through it with their trade routes back and forth. And God said in the midst of that, you are to be a light to those outside of the covenant with Abraham. Genesis 10, Genesis 12, Isaiah 42. All say it. Clues, 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 clues. The Lord's prophets spoke about it. Isaiah 19, Zechariah 14, Amos 9. You are here so that you can be a blessing to the nations, that you would reveal and be a light to those outside of the covenant. It was foreshadowed in the story of Ruth because she is a Gentile. The story of Jonah because he's going to Gentiles and doesn't want to. Why? Well, in part because he was racist. He did not want to bring that ethnic group into it and God said, you don't get to do that. I bring in who I choose, when I choose and he, he, he disciplines and shows grace by sending a whale to bring him back to his original message. So Jonah, the story of Solomon and, queen, and the queen of Sheba, Sheba comes in and starts talking to him about all this. He's like, she's convinced, I want in. But it doesn't quite go the way that God intended it. The story of David and Bathsheba, all the way down to, if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, multiple Gentiles are mentioned so that they don't forget. Okay, so again, Uh, Maybe I'm overstating this point. Clues, 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 clues. Clues, clues, clues. Clues, 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 clues. clues. Right? Like at what point do you go to your thinking chair and you figure it out? I just watched a documentary about Nickelodeon, so that was was fresh just now last night. All right? Why didn't they see it? Here's a few reasons I think. Um, I think generally... People are people. It wasn't explicit, so let's give them that credit. And even something stated clearly before you have an imagination to conceive of it feels unclear or impossible to fathom. So try explaining germs and bacteria before modern medicine brought that to our attention. I mean, you're, it's laughable, even though it was true. The truth that can be so outrageous that it can't even be believed, unless it, even if it is stated directly, Okay, so, so I think that's generally true. Another thing we can see is that it contributed to their blindness is that they were the chosen people for so long and had developed an entitlement to the. So the human way that we tend to do this is like, I'm not just the star of my story, I'm the only person. Just erase all the other characters out of this. It's me. So, so remember, the big surprise here was not that Gentiles were finally allowed to become converts. They could always become Jews. They were kind of not fully Jewish, but they, they could have made that move. And what Paul is doing is saying, no, 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 they as Gentiles are one with, given equal footing to, based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, equal to the Jews, So it's this sacrifice, in my imagination I guess, it's like the blood of Jesus, the weight of what that could accomplish was so valuable that it overflowed the cup of Israel and onto the nations around it. Okay, so there's this bit of selfishness, but remember, Israel too was legitimately being attacked constantly, held captive as slaves over and over. Their very existence uh, was being threatened on a regular basis just based on their identity because they were Jewish people. In fact, that's what the Holocaust was about. So over time, could you not imagine how a bit of distance could be created between you and the nations? How you start to like, buckle down, right? And just like, ah, let's just, let's just take care of us. There's some distance there. that Those people, are those people, we're this people. I, you have this desire maybe to claim on to the privileges that you just feel are yours so that you can prioritize those things. You hold on to prejudices. You hold on to grudges. You hold on to any kind of beef that you've got from them in the past with this tight fist because you're under duress all the time. And so they harden their hearts towards others intensely. And listen, You would have done it. I would have done it. Every person in here would do it. That's the thing, like we can look back again with our revelation and say you should have caught this and that, you shouldn't have executed. Well, like we're all such good humans and bad at being God. And so as much as we could look like we probably would have done the same thing, if we're we're honest, right? And now God is saying a change has happened. The time has come. The fullness has come into measure. The walls are coming down. The barrier wall that we talked about last week is being removed. And Paul himself is actually a little bit surprised that he gets to be the person to do this. Check out verse 7. It says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace, which is kind of another word for gift in this context, the gift of God's gift given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this gift or grace was given to me. Now we look at this again, we're like, least? I mean, you're kind of like the main character of the New Testament once you get after the Gospels. Maybe Peter gets thrown in there a tiny bit, but it's mostly Paul, right? So how, how are you, why do you consider yourself the least? The, the same reason that qualifies him to be the messenger is also the shameful, most embarrassing part of his history. I mean, he's killing these people. He was directly persecuting them actively, not passively, actively, before becoming a Christ follower himself. So. You see this peek through every once in a while. Paul is shocked at times that he's been given such a crucial part of this story. In fact, it, it's hard. Like, we see the words, and even in other parts of the scripture, it talks about how Paul is um, accused. Like, his words in these letters are really harsh, but when you see him in person, he's pretty mild. And he says, Well, uh, that's not going to be true when I come and meet you all, right? That he's still kind of coming at you with these words. But it sounds like Paul wasn't quite as bold, loud, you know, as boisterous, I think he told the truth. I think he discipled people. I do think he was bold. Don't hear me wrong. But it's like we get this arrogant sense sometimes, I think, that we put Paul in this arrogant place, and he himself is just as shocked as you are that that I would maybe be chosen for such a thing. Um, This is really cool. Uh, I was listening to um, a teaching or an interview by a guy by the name of Terry Wildman. The teaching was actually like a Native American's view on the 4th of July. Je- definitely check it out. Preston Sprinkle interviewed him if you're interested in that. But um, he's part of the Native American translation of the scriptures. And one of the things he said that's normal to our people is that the descriptions of our names aren't, um, aren't truncated down to, uh, you know, like uh, I don't even know what, what, what you call it. They, they haven't been brought down to something that's a translated version that isn't that. So instead of like calling someone their name, well, well, here's here's a good like someone may be named Hope or Grace. And that name, or, 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 uh, that name also has like an actual meaning, hope or grace. Does that make sense? And so he said, um, like his last name is Wildman, and he said, he, you know, he received that, but that came from this description of Wildman. So my name means something, and sometimes it's a little phrase, and he said that that's not weird. So in the midst of it, every time they say Jerusalem, they say City of Peace, or actually Village of Peace, because village is more um, uh, understandable, you know, in the cultural context, So imagine what that would do if you replaced Israel every time you read it and just said, and they went to the city of peace. And he points out brilliantly, Paul's name means means little man. And then he says this, and I happen to be teaching on it today, so I thought, I'm putting that into the sermon. Think of the interplay when he says, I, specifically names himself, little man, Am the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me. So, over and over, you're seeing him rename himself so that people understand I feel like I am the least, the littlest, the smallest, but I have been given this massive assignment to do something. Can you believe it? Neither can I. So, here's what he goes on to say then. Although I, Paul, little man, am Less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration for this opened secret, this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now, if you've been following, we've already covered that part. You should get that, but follow where he goes next. This is where it goes cosmic. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, that's you, me, us, all right, his multifaceted, his manifold wisdom, multifaceted, multidimensional, all right, and I'll get to that in just a second, multidimensional, many-sided, like this intricate diamond, his wisdom has all of these angles that it can look through, so we're, just so we know, we're one-faceted, his multifaceted, manifold wisdom, uh, the, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Remember, there's a verse that says that we get to go where angels fear to tread. So there's something going on there, right? So, in God's unique, multifaceted wisdom, little man, unworthy Paul, gets assigned to be the arbiter of peace between the Jews and the Gentiles, and reveals to us, the church, you and I, that through us, our service, our unity, our love, we reveal something to the heavenly powers. Like, what? Like, supernatural things? Like angels and demons? Yes. That's what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about heaven and earth colliding. They're not separate to him, remember. These worlds aren't, uh, are meant to be considered as overlapping, interactive worlds. And so we're going to spend next week on this subject. But what I want you to know here is that the heavenly rulers and the authorities refers to what we usually call angelic beings. Now, there's more to it than just one set of beings, there's actually a bunch of different kind and they have different names and we all just we call them all angels, but there's seraphim, there's uh, 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 cherubs and all these, and cherub isn't a little naked baby, right, with a, with a bow and arrow or a harp. And we'll talk again about this next week, but the, the scope of the angelic beings, there's these good ones and then there are these enemies of God that have their sights on us, which can kind of sound scary, but that's why at the end of this book, God, uh, through Paul, reveals that we have spiritual armor that we get to put on. Okay, why would they care? We don't fully know. Uh, partly, we know that in general, these spiritual beings are looking at us just straight up offended by our Amago Day. The fact that we were chosen to bear the image of God is an offense to these powers and beings. You ask, well, why, are they jealous because we got to know the secret before them? I think that's part of it. They, we were let in on something, Because maybe somehow they are invested in keeping disunity between God's promised people and the Gentile nations. They have some kind of interest in this. All of these are probably true to an extent. But this is what I want you to to kind of see what, what Paul is pulling together. We learn that the spiritual forces who usually have all access to God and all of the knowledge. They knew all of this stuff before we ever did. Were for some reason kept ignorant of this moment. That Christ's death and resurrection would be the catalyst to redeem the nations and the entire world. And we get to be the ones to reveal it to them. Hallelujah. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, now, I couldn't help but note, though, Paul, maybe between the lines, maybe inferring. This is just my speculation. He's inferring to the Jewish people who are there because they're used to being on the inside of all the covenantal knowledge and knowing what's going on. And now he's revealing something new to even them. So it's like humbling to the angelic beings that we get to be a part, of, and humbling to the first group of people. Again, I don't, I don't want to be, these to be used for any kind of anti-Semitism. I, I talked directly about that last week. Don't, don't catch that. But he's dealing with this interaction here, and he is continuing to allow them to understand that more is being revealed. It's not just about you um, in, in, the, um, in the wise words the prophet Kendrick sit down be humble sit down be humble not just all I'm sorry not just nation but nations not just human but all beings on earth and heaven this thing was way bigger than you ever thought it was So watch Paul walk us into that, and he's gonna finish it up with just this last part. It's an appeal to them. Don't worry about me and my imprisonment. There's a strong, strong prayer that rounds out the significance, and we'll pray that over ourselves here today. Verse 13. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel. That's a surrendering term. Before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We got the same daddy. That's important. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So he brought us through it all. This is so much, it's bigger than just one group of people. It's, It's bigger than just, it's like goes cosmic. Can you even fathom that? We are sitting here trying to let Paul communicate something to us, and we don't even know what germs and bacteria are. Does that make sense? We don't even get what he's referring to, multi-dimensions, right? And so he's bringing us into this thing, and then he does this final doxology, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All of that power belongs to you. So so here we see Paul sitting in awe, and this is our turn, our chance to stop and just sit in awe called to rejoice in the inclusion of the, of the Gentiles because most of us in here probably are Gentiles. That we're called to move towards this sacrificial unity that he describes and, and to do it even though it's probably one of the hardest things. There are uh, divine enemies attempting to thwart that and we get, we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit if we want to overcome that situation. May we be driven though, and empowered and fueled by our awe and amazement at this wisdom, multifaceted wisdom, the power and the intention of God's divine plan today. In this short section, he's like, I established some theology of enduring hardship, I established theology of revelation. I established theology of God's cosmic plan throughout eternity and that it was bigger than you thought. A theology of unity where divisions have existed for centuries. We are bringing it back together. A theology of heaven and earth colliding. It's so much bigger than we realized. Who could have fathomed it? Who in our single faceted wisdom could have even comprehended this could be possible? And this is ultimately where I want us to land today. Just be in awe of it. Take it in, be, be amazed, because I really think that drives you to continue wanting to do the things he's saying, is that we are over and over again amazed and refueled and put more gas in that tank, because we look back and think, man, this is wild what I've been brought into. This is, this is just foolishness, that I get to be a part of this in my day and age, and so just sit in the awe and amazement of the divine love that God has for you today, because He chose to reveal Himself to us, bring us into His divine power, bring us into His divine family with one daddy over all of us for a singular purpose to move His kingdom forward. Can I pray this over you? Let's pray together. So, Father, we, we hear these things. We um, we, we want them to be internalized. We want them to cause us to genuinely be excited because we are blown away at what we just heard. So we learn that it's not just nation, but nations. We learn that it's not just humans, but all these beings are involved, that there's this thing that's broader than just earth, but heaven and earth is broader than just me and my identity in Christ, but we and our identity in Christ, Lord. So could we just get a little bit excited about that? God, could you light a fire of passionate faith inside of common ground northeast? Something new, something fresh, something powerful, something that drives us into cohesion together and that forces us into the future in some kind of alignment as we overcome whatever obstacles are put in front of us and as you show us how to wear our armor because it's spiritual forces that are attempting to thwart this whole thing. God, we're gonna need you. And so God, we surrender ourselves. May we be shocked, not entitled, but privileged that we get to be a part of this kingdom and its movement. Burning us a fire. And we ask for this all right now in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen.